then also uh, uh, we have coming, or we, we've got the Salvation Army bucket is out there. I like having a bucket in church. But the bucket's out there, and they need some bell ringers so you can sign up and uh, get signed up to do that. I thought, I was told that it was for two specific days, but I'm, I don't know if it is or not. We, we Jack, Pastor Jack and I got messed up on that, I think. We thought it was for the two days, dates that are mentioned. But anyway, you can sign up. We'll work it out. But we were going to try and do Calvary Chapel block on two different days, so we could keep it going, but sign up, and it's two-hour block, so uh, you can get signed up and see what happens. So help them out, do that fundraiser, and then the coffee house can use some help during the week. I don't know how many of you are aware, but the coffee house is open from 6 to 11 all week long on Monday through Friday, and uh, so they can use some help during those times, and if you're free during those times, great way to witness, great way to reach out to the community, because uh, we get a lot of community people coming in, so you can get involved in that. You can see Brenda and let her know you want to be involved in that, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, today as we come to your word, we, Lord, we're looking forward to what you have for us. And God, I know, I know some people are hurting and life is just, just kicked them down. And it's tough and it's hard. And God, I pray today your word would impact those hearts and bring hope to those lives and encouragement and strength. And God, for those of us who are doing good, it would just take us further, Lord. We, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for what we're going to read today, the truth, the fact that we're going to read today that makes all the difference in the world. So I pray that we would have ears to hear, and, and I pray this would be a, a powerful and a great time in each one of our lives, and we could leave here today, Lord, encouraged, strengthened, fortified in our faith, so that we can reach the world around us. So bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, obviously we, when we left off, remember that they had put Jesus in the tomb and then they had sealed the tomb up. And it's all done, it's all finished. Now today we're gonna talk about the resurrection. And I don't know about you guys, I love reading about and looking and, and studying about the resurrection. The one thing I don't like is all of the critics that say there's no way it happened, it couldn't have happened, people who come against it, even people in the church who say they don't believe in the resurrection. I'm gonna go out on a, a limb here and I'm gonna say this, and I mean it sincerely. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't believe in Jesus. I don't think you can, you know, you just can't, you can't separate that. He rose from the dead and our hope is in the resurrection. Hey, if there's no resurrection, we have no hope. We have no eternal life. The resurrection is our, quote, doorway into eternity. So we need to understand that. Yet people fight against it. There's people who come against it, deny it. Jesus himself said to Mary, remember, he said, I am the resurrection, the truth, and the life. And, and so he let her know, he who believes in me shall live. So you and I need to understand how important that is. So today, I'm not going to spend a ton of time trying to prove it. Because I'm going to kind of do what the Bible does. The Bible just says it happened. 
Don't you love in the Gospels how it just says it happened and don't spend time trying to convince everybody it happened and, you know, even when it's written other places. But here's a cool quote. I love this quote. This is Simon Greenleaf, and, and he's a guy, he's an old dead guy, right? 19th century professor of law at Harvard who founded the Simon Greenleaf School of Law. So this is a guy who, hey, and he started out as an unbeliever, and then was converted like many guys who are honest with the facts. They start out, they research, and then they get saved because the facts speak for themselves. But this is what he says about a trial. Again, a lawyer, here's what he's saying about this, and I love this. He says, all that Christianity asks of men is that they would be consistent with themselves and that they would treat its evidence, it's talking about the resurrection, that they would treat its evidences as they treat the evidence of other things and that they would try and judge its actors and witnesses as they deal with their fellow men when testifying to human affairs and actions in human tribunals. So what he's saying is just give it a fair trial, right? And he says the result will be an undoubting conviction of the integrity and ability and truth of the resurrection. I love that, you know, just such confidence in what's going on. So today, again, we're gonna look at it and we're gonna, I pray for some of us, it's just gonna encourage us. I pray for those who don't know Jesus, that today would be a day that would impact their lives. But we left off last time again, as I said, he's in the tomb, but remember we were introduced to a couple ladies right at the end. Mary and Mary and Mary and Mary and Mary. You know, it's like, did they have any other names for women in the Old New Testament? But we had Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of uh, James and Joseph. So these two ladies are still on the scene. Look at verse one. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So we had them. Now, remember, they knew exactly where to go. Why? They watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put him in that tomb. So they knew where to go. So now they're on their way, and it tells us on the first day of the week. It's always interesting to me when we get close to what I call Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that we get phone calls. Because there's, there's people who read their Bibles like twice a year. They read the Christmas story, and they read the Easter story, and that's all they know about their Bible. And they, they call and they go, I was reading my Bible, and it says that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. I thought he rose on Sunday, not Monday. So we have to explain to them that Monday is not the first day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. And hey, because of our culture and the way we function, Monday's the first work day generally. Not so much anymore, but it used to be specifically. But hey, Sunday is the first day of the week. The day after the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. And you know what? I want to be dogmatic about that too. The Sabbath is Saturday for the Jewish religion. Sunday is not a New Testament Sabbath. It's not a new Sabbath. It's Sunday. Now, Normally, normally the church gathers on Sunday. We're gathering on Sunday. This was a little rough last night. Normally the church, why do we gather on Sunday normally? We gather on Sunday because it's the day he rose from the dead. We're not, we're not, listen, we're not doing a new Sabbath, a different Sabbath. We come together recognizing the fact that he rose from the dead. So you have these two ladies that are on their way. Oh, by the way, for, uh, for homework, you got to get into the other Gospels again, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, because 
Matthew is very brief about the appearances of Jesus. He doesn't talk a lot about them. So, hey, there's, they're very, there's only one mentioned, really, maybe two. And we need to understand something that a whole bunch of them are happening in between here. So don't think, and don't think, well, did Matthew, how come Matthew didn't write about him? Because it didn't fit his purpose. Remember, Matthew is writing to reveal the king of the Jews, the Messiah. That's his purpose. So he leaves a lot of those out. So you have to understand. But from one of those gospels, here's what we know. These two ladies are on their way to the tomb and they look at each other and they go, oh, Who's gonna move the rock? Who's gonna move the stone, right? Do you ever get involved in something and you start going so fast and so hard you haven't thought through and you kind of get to a place and you're going, uh-oh, how are we gonna get that done, right? That's where, that's where these two ladies are at. They're on their way. How are we gonna do it? And then I might add, how are you even gonna handle the body? You know, dead weight is dead weight. And if you've ever tried to move dead weight it's tough right so hey they got to go deal with that so they're on their way they're kind of discussing that and then i love this verse two and behold there was a great earthquake for an angel of the lord had descended from heaven came and rolled back the stone from the door and he sat on it and his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow so listen they're on their way they're having a discussion i don't know how close they were i don't know if the earthquake happened while they're walking and they felt the earthquake but bottom line an angel comes from heaven and i i just like i just like thinking about that you know i just think that stone just like bounced out of where it was and bounced the other place and then i'm thinking the angel sitting on it, I'm, I'm thinking he's kind of chuckling. You know, all the pictures you see, it's all holy, right? And he's always being a holy guy. And, you know, I, I, I personally think, I think the angel was, at least, at least had a grin on his face. Like, I just blew some people's minds. I mean, man, we're going to read about what happened. So, you know, and maybe some people go, you're not very reverent. Well, you're right. I just, I just think it's more real life than what some people try and project. So it says he's sitting on it. So again, oh, and by the way, I think it's Luke and John say there's two angels and Mark and Matthew only talk about one and people get all freaked out. Which one's true? Both. Let me tell you something. If there were two angels, there was definitely one angel, right? Hey, he just... What some writers focus in on different things, and Matthew's just probably focusing in on the angel who spoke. So they're there. Listen, the angel's there. Then I love it, man. His, his, his clothes are like, uh, his countenance was like lightning, his clothing like snow. And verse four, and the guards shook for fear of him. Now listen, think about that. These are Roman soldiers. A lot of people want to say they were the elite, they were the, you know, the, the special forces of the day, they were the SEAL team of the day. I'm not sure they were all that, but they were hardened soldiers. These are, these are soldiers who knew hand-to-hand combat, who had fought that way. And hey, I think these were some of the guys that even beat on Jesus. And now this angel shows up and they're shaken. Why are they shaken? Why are they so afraid? Because the angel showed up and pulled out his, you know, lightning sword and went, no. Here's what I believe happened. Where did that angel come from? Heaven. From the presence of God. And when you come from the presence of God, you bring such purity 
that that purity is so powerful that it freaks everybody out. Hey, I believe as believers, one of the most powerful things we possess is purity. You want your marriage to be strong? Bring purity in your marriage. You want, you want to have an effect in the world? Bring purity. So, hey, these guys are shaking, and then it tells us not only were they shaking, at the end of it, it says they shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So bottom line, they passed out. Oh, by the way, ladies faint, men pass out. I just clarify that. Don't ever, don't ever say, man, that guy just fainted. Guys don't faint. They pass out. So these guys are out, man. These guys are, and, and I kind of picture it, they're like, you know, they're, they're like scattered all over. They're just, and some of them are on top of the other one, and they're just like done, right? They're gone, and then you get, kind of get this picture. Think of you're these two ladies, if you're Mary and Mary, and you're walking along, and you're talking about, hey, who's gonna move the stone? And maybe the ground shakes a little bit, and then you look, you show up, there's an angel sitting on, a, on, on the stone, and there's these soldiers. You'd go, whoa. I mean, I think we read this stuff and we don't get into it enough. I mean, what was going on in their hearts? Had, I, well, I believe it freaked them out because listen to what the angel says in verse five. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid. Have you ever noticed in scripture, every time an angel shows up, what's the first thing he says to a person? Don't be afraid. Why? Because they're afraid. That's why. They're freaked out. And, you know, people today, I hear some people, and they'll go, oh, you know, I was shaving the other day, and an angel appeared and talked to me. I'm thinking, no, you weren't. <laughs> if an angel appeared while you were shaving, you'd cut yourself. You know, it's not, hey, you're not just going to, you're not just going to sit down, oh, hi, you're an angel. I mean, so, hey, don't be afraid, he tells them, right? Do not be afraid, and he sa and said to the women, uh, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Notice that part, right? Hey, ladies, he said he was gonna rise from the dead. Why didn't you believe him, right? He's risen as he said. Come see the place where the, where, where the Lord lay. So here's what he's saying. Go in and look, he's not there. And again, we know from other accounts about this time, Mary has an encounter with Jesus, Mary Magdalene. We know that somebody goes back and gets Peter and John and they come and, and et cetera. So all of that's kind of going on at the same time. But Matthew's mainly focused on these two ladies. And listen, man, he says, he says, hey, look where he lay. Now, I love the idea. Did you pick up that the angel called Jesus what? What did he call him? See where they laid the Lord. He calls him Lord. Don't ever tell me that Jesus isn't God. We'll get more into that in a moment, but you know, that's, that's just such a, a bogus way to put things. So verse seven, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So the angel did his job. He's kind of there, he's going, now I did my job. I'm off. Imagine the effect on that two, those two women. Imagine them just as, as they're going there and they're going through that and they're seeing everything that happened and they look in that tomb again. I don't think they just kind of went away nonchalantly. Oh yeah, Jesus isn't there. I think a lot of stuff is going on in their hearts and in their minds 
and I think things are racing. I think, you know, as far as, far as life, man, it's got to be kind of just a blur and confusion. You ever have anything, I mean, dramatic going on? Hey, it messes everything up, doesn't it? So they're doing that, and now they're thinking, okay, we got to go tell them. And so they went out quickly in verse 8. They went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples the word. Hey, they were mixed with both, and that should, I think that should happen in our lives. When we have encounters, and I believe, listen, I believe we should have experiences with the Lord. And I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. I don't, hey, I don't believe our relationship with God should be purely intellectual. I think our intellect needs to be involved, but so does our heart and our emotions. And these ladies are like, man, they got fear going on, they got joy going on, like, he's raised from the dead. Do you know what just happened? Imagine your conversation, if you were there, what would you say to the person with you? Whoa! And your person with you is going, I can't believe it. No, this didn't really happen. We're dreaming, wake me up. And you're trying to process it, you're running to tell, and again, there's some appearances going on. And then I love this, look at verse nine. Then as they went to his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. Don't you love that? Man, Jesus just shows up, and what does he tell them? Hey ladies, rejoice. It's me. Wow. That would have to trip you out. It's him. I can't believe it's him. And I love the way he tells them, rejoice. You know, to be honest, these two ladies, their theology stinks. They got horrible theology. They're not believing truth. Their doctrine, in the toilet. And so many of us put so much emphasis on theology or doctrine. And listen, I think theology is important. I think doctrine is important. I love to study theology. But we can become so focused on that, we lose the main thing. What did these two ladies have that no one else had? They had a love and a devotion. And I know some guys that I went to Bible school with would completely freak out with me saying, hey, they had love. Jesus appeared to them. Did you pick up on that? Who do you appear to? Those two. Why those two? I love, and people will, people will give all kinds of things. Well, he appeared to those two first because, you know, because he's trying to make a point about women and being a weaker sex and stuff. And I'm going, well, that's a little bogus. And then they go, well, you know, Mary, he drove out seven demons from her and she had this amazing conversion experience. And, you know, he, naturally he would have to go to her first. Last night, some people, and you guys can help me out on your way out if you want. Last night, somebody told me, well, it was because they were at the cross and then he kind of owed it to them because they stayed at the cross. God doesn't owe us anything. Why did he appear to these two ladies right then? I'm not a deep person. I think a lot of you figured that out. I'm not real deep. Why did he appear to them then? Because they were there. It's pretty simple. Because they were there. Hey, saints, you want to experience things with God? You need to be there. You need to be close to him. You, can't, you cannot expect experiences with God if you're off dissing him and doing something else. You're not gonna have that. Well, you might get a spanking, but you're not gonna have this kind of stuff. Listen, he reveals revelation to those who are there. 
Make yourself available. That's a simple, I think that's a simple truth. And he tells them to rejoice and then, and then listen. So they came and it says at the middle of verse nine, so they came and they held him by the feet and they worshiped him. And once again, he's gotta be God Why he's receiving worship. And they're grabbing a hold of him. Now we already know he told Mary once, don't hold on to me. You know, I haven't been to my father, which could be the same thing here. It doesn't say he let them hold on to him. And again, for Mary, it wasn't don't touch me, it's don't hang on to me because I'm about to take off from planet Earth and you'll be dragging behind or something. So, hey, don't hold on to me. And then listen to what he says. I love this part. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell the losers to go to Galilee. Listen to what, listen to what he says. This is so important. Listen to what he says. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. These are the same guys who deserted him. These are the guys who are hiding away. These are the guys who are not taking a stand. And what does Jesus call them? My brethren. Do you know that's the first time he says that about them? Listen, he's no longer Rabbi Student, there's brethren. They're part of his family. I mean, this, this just blows my mind. And do you know what it would do to those guys who are hiding, you know, behind locked doors and stuff to hear Jesus call them brethren? That's got to change your life radically. And we sometimes, man, we're all about, you know, people acting right and, hey, you're not showing your Christianity enough, you can't be here. And we have all of these stupid things we do. Hey, saints. We need to lighten up a little bit and we need to allow Jesus to work in people's lives the way he's gonna work in people's lives. Something that cracks me up is someone will get saved and people instantly think they ought to be, you know, they ought to be super saint or something. Do you understand that people have to grow in their relationship with Jesus? You don't start out, hey, you don't say a prayer or come to him and, and all of a sudden you know everything and your life's like everything radically changed at least it didn't happen for me. I had to grow. I remember one time, it was several years ago, it was when we were out on Hereford Road, this guy had gotten saved, and he was a rough guy. He was rough. And he had gotten saved, he'd been saved all of like two whole weeks. And he's at church, and we're having a conversation, and, and I don't remember everything, but I remember in the conversation, there's like a group of us around, and we're having a conversation, and he interjected like something gross, and not very appropriate. And watching the other Christians, they scattered like, whoa, I don't wanna be around that guy. And I thought, it's not contagious. You're okay. And hey, he just got saved. You think he's going to have all of the right stuff? Come on. Hey, people need some space. So here Jesus says, go tell my brethren to meet me. Now in between here, he, as I said, he's appeared to Mary. Sometime he appears to Peter. Then he appears to the 10. If you remember, then the 11 when Thomas shows up. So all of that is going on while we're, you know, after, after these verses, all of that stuff is happening. But Matthew's not concerned with this. Look what Matthew does bring up, though. Verse 11, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. So listen, all of that stuff's going on with Jesus, but on the other side, some of the guard came. Why didn't all of the guard come? 
because some of them stayed there to guard the tomb. Now these guys are freaked out. So some of them stayed there to make sure nothing else happened. And some went to the chief priests. And did you read what it says? They reported everything. Can you imagine you're the chief priests and these Roman soldiers show up and they go, uh, we got a problem. What's the problem? He ain't in the tomb. You sure? Oh, yeah, we're way sure. Like an angel showed up, bounced that rock out of its place, sat on a rock, freaked us out, and when we woke up, hey, he's gone. Sometimes people say, you know, if God would just do a miracle, so-and-so would get saved. Miracles don't save people. I mean, in one sense, in one sense, we're all saved by a miracle, but. A hard heart is a hard heart is a hard heart. And this is one of the greatest proofs. These chief priests are hard-hearted. Some of them even said, come down from that cross and we'll believe. Well, he just did. He just did what they told him to do and they're not believing. Listen to what they do. They told him everything that would happen in verse 12 when they had assembled the elders. Here's what cracks me up. They have another meeting, man. They bring all these people together. Hey, he's gone. He raised from the dead and they're going, we have to have a meeting because that doesn't fit in our theology. That doesn't work for us. So they're having their little meeting. They bring the elders in and it says, and... They consulted together and they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away and and stole him away while we slept. Seriously? Like just throw money at the problem. (laughs) Sound like any, never mind. (laughs) And they gave him money and they go, hey, just go tell this lie. Now, this is so bogus. I I read this and I gotta be honest, like all of the arguments, I don't know, you guys can Google it. There's all kinds of different theories why that tomb is empty. Some say the swoon theory. I don't know if you've read them all. You know, there's a swoon theory that he just, you know, he only passed out on the cross. And when they put him on that cold slab, he kind of came to, shook his head a little bit, moved a stone that only one, you know. And by the way, he hadn't eaten for like 60 hours and he was beaten half to death. But he had all the strength to do that and unwrap his clothes and put him in a nice pile. So, hey, there's a swoon theory. There's a hallucination. There's there's all kinds of theories. And they're all so bogus. But I got to be really honest. This is like the stupid. This one right here, this here, I'm thinking, seriously? Like, who would come up with that? The chief priest. And here's what they're telling the soldiers. You go tell them you fell asleep. Number one, a Roman soldier didn't do that. You just did not do that. If you did it, the penalty was death. But Roman soldiers said they're too disciplined. They're too into this. They don't do that. If, If they walked up to Joe Schmo on the street and said, I fell asleep. They'd go, no, you didn't. You're lying. You fall asleep. So number one, that's bad. Number two, we fell asleep and the disciples came and took his body. How do you know they took his body if you were asleep, dude? Doesn't that make sense? They don't know who took the body if they're asleep. I got so many questions. And then lastly, if you're asleep and someone comes and moves this humongous stone and is stilling a body, don't you think they'd make just a little bit of noise and it would wake you up? It's so bogus. I mean, you think of this whole thing, it's just dumb. But hey, who am I? 
And then they tell him this big thing. Oh, and if the governor, in, in verse 14, and if it, this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So here's what they're saying. Don't worry, man. If it, goes to, if it goes to the governor, we know the penalty's death, but we'll take care of it. And then it tells us this. So they took the money, got on their BMW camels, and rode away. And off they go, right? And they did as they were instructed. Now listen to this. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Matthew's writing this like 25 years after the fact. And here's what he's saying. They're still saying those guys fell asleep. How stupid is that? I don't know if Matthew said that when he talked to people, but listen, they're still saying, even in the second century, some of the early church fathers Check it out, man. Get on, get on Blue Letter Bible or Google and, and, and Google about early church fathers in the second century. Some of them say that story was still circulating then and we shouldn't be amazed it's still circulating today. So there it goes. So now, listen, now we're gonna take off. Now we're gonna go up to Galilee and hey, again, it's been like, we're looking at 40, maybe 50 days after or during, he raises from the dead. Hey, he didn't raise from the dead and then go up and meet these guys in Galilee in the afternoon. We do that on the tour bus. You're not gonna do that walking. It was, it was a long journey for them to get up there. So now we, we leave Jerusalem and he's done some appearances there. So it's been a few days there. Go up, it's been a few days, several days to get up to, to Galilee. And then verse 16 says, then the 11 disciples went away to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Now here's what's interesting. There was a prearranged meeting place, it sounds like, right? They went to the mountain that Jesus pointed for them. So they're up there, they knew where to go, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. Don't you love that? They worshiped him. They fell at their feet and they worshiped him. Once again, he's gotta be God to be worshiped. And then it says they worshiped him, but what does it say? And, but some doubted. Now this cracks me up reading commentaries. Everybody wants to figure out who the some is, and some doubted. I don't know who went to meet him. I'm not sure. I personally believe it was the 11. I don't think it was a humongous crowd. Others do, and that's okay. I'm, I wasn't there. I don't know. Remember in 1 Corinthians, he said that Jesus appeared to over 500 men. So some are saying maybe this was the time, and et cetera. I think it was the 11. And just because it says some doubted, it doesn't say what they doubted. And here's the thing. I'm not sure they were doubting the resurrection, but I'm, I'm thinking they're doubting the entire experience. Hey, guys, do you ever doubt? Those of you who go, never, shame on you. We're in church. You have doubts, and you gotta fight those doubts. And I can't imagine, listen, I can't imagine being a Christian for about 15 minutes and having this encounter with Jesus and not trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. So I don't think they were doubting the resurrection in that sense. I think they're just kind of, what is happening? And I think they're trying to work through that. And I think doubt can be good in our life if, if it drives us to the cross. But some doubt it. And then we come to the, the, the thing, the Great Commission is my heading. A lot of people talk about this and they use it for missionary work. I'm going to kind of debunk that a little bit, if you don't mind. But listen, let's read through this because this is amazing. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying in verse 18, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now a couple things I want us to pay attention to. We'll finish that in a minute. Don't finish reading. So a couple things I want us to look at. Number one, the word all. All authority has been given to me. Disciples of all nations, teach them all things. Hey, this is everything. Jesus is, Jesus is not an exclusive person, if you've noticed. Christianity is not an exclusive religion. As a matter of fact, we want, I want everybody in. Don't you want everybody to go to heaven? I do. So listen, he's saying, number one, he's saying we need to, we need to understand all authority has been given him. Again, a proof of his deity. You can't have all authority unless you're the one, right? But then I want to I wanna kind of maybe blow apart something here. In verse 19, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A lot of people emphasize the word go. And they're saying we have to go. And they use this especially for missionary commissioning and different things. Do you know that that's not the verb in this sentence? And everybody looks down and starts reading. Oh, I think he's pulling our leg. That's not the verb in this sentence. If you're a grammarian, you know how to diagram a sentence. The verb is make. Go is a participle. And go should, it should actually be written more in a phrase as you're going, make disciples of all nations. You see, I think we get really messed up. The purpose of the church, what is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? Some people think it's for fellowship. It's all about fellowship. We've even had people say, you know, we kind of like Calvary, but there's not enough fellowship, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know, we, we don't exist merely for fellowship. And then some people say, well, it's about worship and praise. And, you know, you should have long worship and praise times. And, and that's why the church, the church doesn't exist merely for that. Well, it's obviously, it's Calvary Chapel. It's about Bible teaching. That's not the purpose of the church. Do you know what the purpose of the church is? Do you know why you're still here? Do you know why you didn't get raptured the minute you said the prayer and why you're still here? For one reason, to glorify God. That's why he left you here. We are here as the body of Christ to glorify God. And the one major way we're gonna, or the effect we're gonna have as we're glorifying God is we're gonna make disciples. If your relationship is where it should be and you're working, people, you're gonna have opportunities to share and you're gonna be making disciples. And making disciples doesn't mean you just lead someone in a prayer. It means you're involved in their life and you're doing it and Jesus' commission to us is make disciples. Now, going can be part of that. Some people are going to go. Some aren't. That little, that little clip this morning. Hey, you can live local and still think global. Like, I think I'm a global kind of person. I, I read a book years ago called The World Christian, not The Worldly Christian, the world Christian, meaning you think about the world and, and do these things. So listen, man, Jesus is to make disciples and we need to understand that's our mission. And then baptizing them is part of that, right? Baptizing. And I believe, listen, I believe you're baptized in the body of Christ when you're saved, but then water baptism demonstrates 
outwardly what's happened to you inwardly and is a demonstration of that. But I want to draw attention to something because here's what he says, and I think it's important. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen again. Baptizing them in the name singular of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If it was good grammar, and if God wasn't a trinity, it would say baptizing them in the names, plural, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But since God is one and the three are one, it's a singular in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So meaning God uh, in, in those three persons. And then teaching them. So listen, man, fellowship, pray, praise, and worship, and teaching is all all of that is going to contribute to us glorifying God. But we got to get that focus. I watch sometimes, and do you guys know I can see your faces? Sometimes you act like you don't. Like you do stuff, and I go, wow, that was kind of weird. I can see that. Oh, you would be amazed what's going on in here. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, here's what he said. Some lady said something about something he said. This has nothing to do with this, but some, some lady said, I can't believe you just said that. And he goes, Madam, if you only knew what I didn't say. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff going on in our head. So anyway, you guys, I can see your faces, just so you know. Just, just uh, you know, well, at least back like to the 10th row or something, and then it gets a little blurry. Maybe that's why some of you sit way in the back. But sometimes I notice when I, when I start giving the invitation, there's, a, there's an attitude, body language and stuff that comes across like, again? That's why we exist. We exist for that reason. And we need to understand that's part of what we're doing. We are making disciples. And in that, if you're really making a disciple, you're going to fellowship, you're gonna praise, you're gonna worship. You're gonna teach. All of those things are part of that, but our goal, our objective is to make disciples. And then he says, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And I saved the best for last. This is like the mountaintop of the mountaintop. Like I think he reached a mountaintop, but this is the mountaintop of the mountaintop. And Jesus says, and low, do you know what low means? That's like a two letter word. What is, here's what he's saying. Listen up. He said all of this, and now here's what Jesus says. Now pay attention. And here's what he says. And lo, I am with you some of the time. No, what does he say? I am with you always. There's that all again, right? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now I'm going to say something that's going to freak some of you out for a minute. This is not a promise from God. This is a fact of life. Jesus isn't promising to be with us. He's telling us, I am going to be with you, whether you like it or not, whether you're into it or not. He's with you always. Now that should bring us comfort to know that Jesus is with us always and sometimes a little discomfort when we're doing things we're not supposed to be doing, right? Do you know that Jesus is there like, I believe all of us, I think you guys are like me, you do stuff in private that you would never do publicly. Jesus is there. 
You know something, I found it helps me a lot in those situations and temptations and stuff is when I'm tempted and I start going that direction, I will just kind of turn to one side or the other and I'll go, uh, Jesus, are you having fun doing this? He generally says, get out of here. Hey, he's with us always, always. Again, great comfort and a little bit of discomfort at times, but man, what a fact of life. And I don't think, listen, I don't think, I don't think we believe that fully. Even as I'm saying it to some of you, some of you have looks on your faces like, no, not always. I can see your faces. Not always. He's the most of the time, the majority of the time. But there's a few times he's got to be busy with somebody else. He can't be busy with me. There's a, there's a billion people, six billion people. How can he be with me always? He's with you always, even to the end of the age. So, hey, man, I love, listen, I love this ending because here's what it tells me. Number one, it tells me my mission for existing as a Christian. Number two, it tells me I'm going to succeed in that as I realize the presence of Jesus in my life. And then as I realize the presence of Jesus in my life, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get more revelation. I'm going to get encouragement. I'm going to get direction. I'm going to get the things that we're always seeking. What is the will of God for my life? What should I be doing? Well, you got to be like going back to the two ladies. You got to be there. And being there, I mean, you got to know that you're there in his presence. And life will be great. So that's the end. Oh, by the way, he ends it with amen, which means it is true, not over and out. So that's, that's Matthew that ends it there. So that's the end of that gospel. I want to encourage you, saints, Jesus is risen from the dead. Don't let people take that away from you. And number two, fall more in love with him. I think he should understand, listen, I think he should understand doctrine and theology because here's what, here's what doctrine and theology is to me. It's studying God. And if I'm really in love with him, I want to know him, so I'm going to study that stuff. But don't get so doctrinal and theological that you lose your, your affection and your love for Jesus and your devotion to him because it's a real danger, man. You can get all heady. What does Paul say? Love builds up, but knowledge puffs up. Be careful, right? Let's stand up and pray.